All episodes of the Real Women in Business podcast reflect the opinions and views of the guest and Cass McCrory and do not reflect official policy or position of employers or clients. Thank you. You're listening to the Real Women in Business podcast. I'm your host, Cass McCrory, and in this podcast, we highlight women in all kinds of businesses. For yourself, someone else, full-time, part-time, overtime hustle, Together, we will learn from and with one another. And if we get it right, it'll lift us all. Let's get into it. Friends, today we're talking to Heather Younger. She is the author of The Art of Caring Leadership and is an amazing leader herself. In this episode, we talk about what it means and what's changed about caring leadership over this last year. We talk about how being a truly caring leader starts with you and what we can do today to start establishing the best practices that are going to help us become the leaders that we are meant to be. I love this episode. I know you will too. Let's get into it. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited to chat with you today. And I always kick off with you sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world. Oh, well, I'm a mother of four. We were just chatting about that. Um, and the ages are between 11 and 18. So one going off to college, which is kind of crazy. So that's a huge part of my life. Then the work I do in the world. Wow. Um, I would say the biggest thing is I evangelize caring leadership. So caring leadership is, and leading with heart is kind of my stamp and my unique stamp. I have a podcast by the name leadership of heart. So I try to embody that every day. And um, I come, I think the catalyst for being there. Uh, well, it starts way back, but there's also like a more recent one in the last several years working for an organization where there was a merger and realizing that just nobody was listening to the people who were sitting in it, who were sitting in the crisis of the merger, because it's really what it was. I mean, mergers are not fun. They're like you know, rough, right? They, they pop you around. And uh, realizing in the moment, nobody was listening to the people. No one was asking questions. No one was getting feedback. And I just happened to be the person people will come to. And I need, decided to take on the role of that, of listening to the people who were in there driving the seats forward and went to the head of HR and asked them, you know, we told them we need to do something about it. Mistrust is building. Our culture is going downhill. And, um, and she said, you know, you're right. You should really go do something about that. And I was like, what? Like I'm leading customer experience. How am I the one who's responsible to do that? But I, it made sense because I was kind of the culture bearer. I was that ambassador for other people, uplifting other people. So I created this engagement council, sat around the table with a whole bunch of people from the different companies. And we started to think about how we could break down walls, how we could build up trust again. And we started to do all these different activities and it helped to do that. And the merger itself didn't go well, but I realized in the thick of it that there was a huge void missing between the, those in the organizations and the leaders and those who are driving the business forward who don't have as much power or authority or, don't, or aren't in the know. And I felt like someone needed to be that bridge. And so that's the role I took on several years ago um, as the employee whisperer and have just since then been listening to employees and working with leaders since ever since. So I feel like the, the intensity of conversation around being a caring leader has changed in the last year. Are you seeing that? Yeah, it really has. I mean, obviously, the having the pandemic combined with uh, all the things related to racial unrest take place, uh, I mean, everything has changed. I mean, even to the extent, to be honest, I've changed. I think about how much I kind of ran away from who I was from as a biracial person and just kind of, you know, always tried to just fit in because of my background. 
and realized after George Floyd that like I had to, you had to unleash my voice. I had to unleash my unique perspective, my voice. So even I changed in how I showed up in the caring way I did with just like sharing more of my stories, being there for people, using my voice to make sure that, that uh, people understood, um, you know, maybe a different way of seeing things. And I, that was my way of caring that it even, I just showed up differently in this last year. And there's so many awakenings I had in this last year. Uh, that I'm sure many people have as well. And so I do hope that leaders have showed up with more care um, during this time. But, you know, one thing I would say is that we just, we know more about our people now, more than we did before, right? Because we see all the stuff that's happening behind them. It's like this, when we're in the workplace, it's just like a sliver of us. And we walk around and we just can put on our smile, our smiley faces and, right, tell the stories we want to tell. But we can't hide what's around us in our lives when we're in these videos. We try to really hard, but all of a sudden it's like, click, click. Okay, you hear two kids upstairs. Or like I've seen one where there's the elder, the age, they try to put that um, the, the thing where they put the backdrop where no one can see. And then I see like an elderly parent, like walking straight in, like half dressed, like, and you, you, you can see it in the background, right? Um, or the kids or the dogs or the cats. And so we know more about them, our people as humans now. And I think it's a gift. And what I was, what I'm trying to make people understand is that they should not let go of that gift, the knowledge, the data, I call it data, that data really helps. Now, what can we do when they come back to the workplace? And if we do hybrid, what does that look like? And now that we know more about them, what, how are we going to help them and more customize their experience based upon that? So yeah, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. This, I feel like, you know, the more conversations that I have with leaders, the more I'm seeing this tuned inness to who people are at a whole level. And it's so much less about, you know, how you're showing up between nine to five. And it's so much more about how much energy you can come to your nine to five with everything else that you've got going on in your life. And companies are more eager to support people. Yeah, I think they are. Um, I'm hoping it stays that way. My, you know, that's like a constant meditation for me is that it stays that way. And again, the the fact that if they decide to come full, full force back into the office, not hybrid, then over time, the background that we've been seeing starts to fade away. Right. And they, then they, are they going to become back singular people again? When I talk about in the book, the art of caring leadership, this whole person leadership idea, this is forever. And it's exhausting. I, 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 want, I don't want to paint this picture that caring leadership is easy. It's not. It's, it's this idea of taking daily actions to show concern and kindness for people. And it's daily actions. And it's actions, not just words. And it, that takes a lot of effort. It's not easy. To, it's not easy to be a leader, period. But to be one who cares, it's even harder. You know? You have to have an energetic hold. Like, you've got to have boundaries around that so that both you can exist as a human you can exist as a leader and you also probably have a job to do. Like there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that the leaders that I see exhibiting amazing references to caring leadership that are doing the performative and demonstrative acts that are truly there when you're a caring leader, they are doing it because they are choosing to do less of so much else. That's something for those who are listening, you should really meditate on. That's a, that's a big one right there. That's a deep one. Thanks for bringing it up, Cass. Yeah, they are there. You have to make a choice. I mean, 
so performance measurements are important. You have to achieve goals or strategic initiatives. There are customer needs. So you have to do it. I, this is all, I don't think we're, neither one of us are saying that you can't operate a business, <laughs> that you right. can't be profitable, that you can't do well. I think they're not either or, but they're ands. And if you actually, as a leader, get to do less from a tactical perspective, if you do more to care for your people, because then they do more to uplift your team and the organization. That's the, it's the beauty of it. People, it's lost, I think, on so many leaders, isn't it? It's really lost on them. It, it really is. There's been a few leaders that I've been able to witness where they see their biggest contribution to work be the uplifting of other people. That is their biggest contribution at work and they model it and they talk about it and they're successful because of it. You know, they're going to have to get on my show on leadership with heart podcast, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll name names. Heather. You're going to you're gonna need to refer them straight over to me, baby. Cause I like talking to these people, you know, because in the end it's like, there are these people in life that are case studies. And, it, and, and again, neither one of us are saying that any of these people are perfect because right. none of us are perfect. Like I always say, I wrote the book on it. I have a podcast when I speak on it and I guarantee you, I don't show up hundred percent with empowerment. I don't always listen a hundred percent like, right. So there's these things that I talk about that are the behaviors of care of what care looks like instead of this nebulous, squishy concept. And they give you some meat around it. Right. But in the end, none of us are perfect. So even the people you just mentioned, they're not perfect. Oh no. People who like, they have made very intentional choices to show up in certain ways for those they lead. They take it as, make it as a priority and they still get the results or more results when they do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is exciting. And I think it shows the effort of intentionality and it's an effort of trust. It is saying, if I am supporting other people, they are going to support me back. And that there is, there's trust and vulnerability in doing that work. Trust is the, is the foundation of a lot of this. I had um, Stephen M. R. Covey on my podcast and we were talking, I, you know, obviously I, he has a book called Speed of Trust. And I, um, I was talking to him and all of a sudden it was like, it was so obvious, I think for both of us, like we're all these like fireworks going off of like, oh my gosh, there's so many synergies. And it's because at, at the foundation of caring leadership really is this idea of trust. Like you can't create safe spaces for team members if you haven't created trust first, if you haven't earned the trust and kept the trust through other times. And so then you can't just like all these organizations that are just so frustrated. The leaders are like, okay, so we've decided now six months after this George Floyd thing that we're going to create a space, a forum for everybody to come talk about these important things. And we want you to be open. And then they, and then they go and there's like crickets chirping. And it's like, well, that is because before the pandemic, before George Floyd, you hadn't done the hard work. You have to do the hard work to build that trust. And what is the hard work? Let me just talk about what that is. That is someone comes in, someone comes in the office and they're in tears. This is before, so this is pre-pandemic. They're in tears, your team is in tears. And you kind of like see it and you kind of go, yep, yep, go over and go ahead. You're okay. Like go over and go over in your area. And then after they've compiled them, they've gotten themselves together, they get back to work and you never talk to them about what was going on. So you never talk to them. That's what not building trust is. You never say, what was ha- I know I gave you the time, but like now, is it okay to come in? What's going on? What's happening? Okay, and then just listening, listening intently to listening to their frame, not trying to solution for them unless you get permission first. Asking them if they need help, if you can help them. Um, that's one example of like 
how you spin one thing onto the other thing and create care. Um, another thing is you say someone gives you feedback in a team meeting. They give you feedback and it's pretty critical to the success of your team. And you listen to them, uh, but then you don't do anything about it. Or maybe you do something about it, but you never let them know you ever did anything about it. So then they never know you even hurt them. And maybe they see something that's changed, but they're not sure if it was from them or from you or they don't know. But if you tell them, on the other hand, that you did this thing that they recommended and that you thank them for their feedback, and then, then they see that the thing took place and you thank them that you say it was their voice that made it happen. Now they're like, wow, my voice is kind of powerful. And he or she, they're actually listening to me. I was heard. That's carrying leadership in practice, right? So there's all these examples of what does it look like in practice through your behavior, not just through words, as I care, I, I really do care for you. Okay, that's nice. Now, when the rubber hits the word, what are you doing? So you built this trust and now it's time to say, I want to create these forms to have these conversations. It's really hard conversations that require us to really put all of ourselves out there with a lot of fear, anxiety, but maybe it's lessened because you create an organization that has that foundation of openness, um, you know, openness to hear the hard things. That's the, that's the key. You, you just got to do that work. It's hard. It's hard. It is. It is hard and it is worthy work. It really is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like talking. And then I hear this is, this is the thing about us doing like art, these shows that are not in a full studio where you hear uh, fighter pilots all right above me. I, you know, I regularly am looking at my life and looking around at, you know, the noise that is, and I'm just like, wow, I got to find a way to be grateful for this. Cause I am. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and the other thing, as you say, as you say that, being grateful for all the noise is um, what I've realized is the noise that I'm hearing isn't always what you're hearing. So like, as Ooh. I'm sitting, noise, right. Like as I'm sitting in my noise and I'm hearing in the fire, I'm not even sure if you heard the fighter pilots going above me, it was very loud for me. So then I got all disheveled because I'm hearing all this and I'm like, Oh no, they can hear all these fighter pilots. And you're like, I I'm sorry, I'm not hearing that. What, what is that? <laughs> so I'm what a metaphor. I mean, right. truly. <laughs> Oh and my God. I think what's really interesting about that is that if you hadn't said, this is my experience, I never would have known. And I think that is such a brilliant demonstration of exactly what we were talking about is that we have to have space to say, this is my experience so that somebody else can be a witness to that. And then hold the break to say, okay, let's recollect. Let's get ourselves back in alignment. It's so interesting. There are a lot of people who don't have, interestingly enough, as you say that though, and as we're talking about safe spaces and trust, there are a lot of people, I just happen to be a very expressive person who just puts it out there, right? I mean, authentic, good or bad, it is what it is. But not a lot of people feel like they can be their authentic self that way, right? Where they can say, oh my gosh, there's fighter, you know, and they immediately go, ah, and then they like, and then they shut their mouth. Like they just won't say right. anything because they, and their, you know, fear of ridicule and all of that. And you could have gone many different directions with what I just, you know, how that just went. And I think how we set up those opportunities, like I, there are, I remember there's one leader in the book who says like, uh, he talks about his name is Larry Sutton and he oversees this like a big tire company in the U S and he says that when, when he gets to the table, he tells people, listen, you got permission to basically slap me across the face. If I say like something that's just like offensive or like the stupid or whatever, and I need you to check me on it right there. I need you to check me. And 
he says people have come to him like and have done it and he's tried to model and keep the humility there and, and kind of back up what his words are. Um, but thinking about like he he opens up those spaces for safety so that if they want to speak up something counter to what's happening in the room, then they feel comfortable doing it. And he and it's not just he says it once, he says it multiple times and he models the after experience when they come to him with the counter thing that was in the room, right? So then it, it creates this opportunity of and number one, people can innovate. Now ideas are there. Now you're over people. I've, I've seen lots of studies where in organizations where um, staff like nursing staff or certain where it's really like life or death or feel comfortable to come forward related to something that, ha that a doctor did or whatever it was, right? Usually you don't want to speak up against it ever against a doctor, you know, and they, but the particular environment, they spoke up and it, and it went a, a positive way. And then they were able to reduce, you know, obviously deaths and safety issues. And you see that in the other side, like lots of different environments where innovation takes place. People speak up and they're like, wow, I didn't see it that, I didn't think about it that way. And that's how you have amazing innovations come forward because those environments are one that they have like some healthy friction going on. It's a healthy type of friction where people are going, no, 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 no. I don't think that's the way because here's what's going on, right? And you can't, you don't have those environments everywhere. So how do we create more of those environments that allow that to come? I do that too with my team. Like, am I, is this like, right? Because I'm, tell me, like, if I'm, because I had just said a whole bunch, but is that right? Because it's probably not right, you know, and they, they have a different frame. And I think if you go about it that way, where it's like, does that sound cockamamie? What did I just say? Did that make sense? Summarize that for me and tell me if it made sense. And when you go at it that way, where it's like, I am not perfect. I, you know, we are all kind of operating from blank slate. We're all using all of our creative um, volition here. And so let's just check each other to make sure that we're going down this road. And then at the same time, you feel like you're in it together and not by yourself. Yeah. You know, you just feel like they're on this road. They have to do it all them all themselves and, and they don't have to. Oh, that's really interesting. I think the other thing that, um, people expect in leadership and it's been said a lot, it's lonely at the top. And I yeah. feel like it's only lonely at the top if you haven't been inclusive and brought people along on the journey with you. That's so true. Yeah, the inclusive part is massive. And inclusive, I think when people think of inclusion, they think just like racial and like, they just think they're very narrow in this definition, but I'm not actually. I believe in inviting everybody to the table because I know I'm not the smartest person in the room. I've got like a very narrow set of skill sets and I need to include like 90% more people to make sure that we cover all the bases. So the inclusive thing is, I mean, yes, it's people that look different than you, people that speak different people from you, but it's like just everybody, like invite all of them to the table. Don't try to exclude people because they don't have this criteria. They don't have, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, just be more inclusive and open. I feel like when you do that, number one, they feel more included. So they're going to be more willing to put forth all of their best selves, just all their best ideas. And, and again, if you've done that too, and you are always going, Jennifer, you haven't spoken yet. Like, can you just say something? And even if it's just like a one word thing. And if you know, Jennifer's like more introvert and doesn't want to talk before the meeting, say, you know, either prime Jennifer to speak at the table and, 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 and like, and to let her know, you're going to ask a specific question so that it primes her to know it's her turn to talk or get her feedback. And, you know, before you even get in the meeting and bring that to the table too, to say, yeah, you know, we, I was talking to the other day with Jennifer and, and we were talking about this and you put the, the, the idea on the table. So she's not necessarily having to talk. There's so many different ways to include people of all different backgrounds, even the ones who don't want to talk or hear their voices a lot. Yeah. I love these specific tips of here's how you can demonstrate being a caring leader. You can 
bring other voices to the table. You can reference people's ideas by name. You know, you can do the work of supporting your team. You know, the, the listeners of this podcast are predominantly women and they're working in large organizations. And one of the places where I feel like everybody wants to exhibit more caring leadership is, is within themselves. So I'm curious what your perspective is about using the principles that you establish in the art of caring leadership on our own kind of management. Yeah. So it's interesting. The very, the first chapter of the book is on self-leadership, cultivating self-leadership. And it is the most robust chapter with lots of sub sub elements to it. And it's because every single person I talked to, I'm like, there's this element of how do I get better? And this like struggle and this like clawing and like this, all of the, again, the hard work I keep talking about. So some of the elements of self-leadership are the first thing is knowing your why like understanding why you're a leader. Are you leading, you're putting the role where you put in the role because you're the best performer? Where you, are you someone who should be there? If you are great, are you struggling? So it's just understanding what that why is for, for leading other people. And this idea of congruence, are you congruent with what you say you value? All of these things, if, as we talk about these things, just think about how they surface up inside the workplace and how, if you aren't leading yourself first, how are you gonna be able to help others do the things I'm talking about? So are they gonna be able to find their why well if you haven't found yours and you don't know how to? If you aren't congruent with what you say you value, then how can you coach others to do the same? Being intentional, we talked about that. Intentional is like, if I could say one thing, if there's just one thing I would say you could do at the end of this conversation, it is to be more intentional about how you show up. Being more intentional means purposeful, means I'm setting out a plan and a course of action that I am and, that I, and I intend to stick to it. So intentionality is a huge one. Um, and again, how can you teach others to do that if you aren't in fact intentional? Um, self-care, exercise and self-care, caring for ourselves. I was talking about like, I have a whole practice in the morning where I get up and I have a process and we were both talking about how this works for us as mother of four children, both of us. How do we get up and make sure our day sets out a certain way and making sure that we take the breaks in the middle of the day and leaders, I coach a lot of executives on this and it's like, okay, so how do we get those 10 minute little, the five, 10 minute things? How do we journal? What do we do to make sure that we're reflecting on our day? Um, making sure that you have a good, a, a per, like a personal like a personal board of directors. So having a, a, a team that you can go to to lean on so that you don't feel like you're on that journey by yourself. And to that extent, the cool thing is that in the book, The Art of Caring Leadership, I created a self-assessment. So it's a, it's a caring leadership self-assessment. They take the self-assessment and they're invited to join a free community. Self-assessment's free. The caring leadership community's free. You go in there and there's other leaders on this journey to trying to be more you know, caring every day. And then there's also a Caring Leadership Academy and coaches that are all available for you to help fill some of the gaps that you saw maybe inside the assessment. It's an entire support system. Uh, so you need to, the idea is that you don't have to do this alone. You have to know that you have to have that personal support that's, that's right there with you. And again, this idea of authenticity is another thing when we look at self-leadership. So I wanna qualify authenticity because we people use this word a lot. Now you can be authentically a jerk or you can be authentically a caring leader. And sometimes we um, go between the two, depending on the day, right? Depending on the factors. Understanding what our triggers are, like being more aware and uh, empathetic and all of those things uh, helps us then show up much more in a strong way uh, for other people. Um, it just is. And as, as women, we're awful at the self-care thing. I mean, we try, we do the bits and spouts, right? But I think having a, having a uh, structure to the day that inserts those moments allows us to exhale and then again, when people present to us and people would be also our children. So it's like our children, those from the workplace, if we are volunteering in a community, whatever it is, right? Those people who look to us for guidance 
whether we have a title or not, um, those are the ones that we're kind of preparing ourselves to present to and show up in our best way. Oh, I love that. I love that. Is there anything that we should have talked about that we haven't gotten into yet, Heather? Uh, I don't know. I just, I would definitely say to exhale more often for sure. I think for the, for the, for all of you who are listening, um, again, I know, you know, a lot of you are women, this idea of, of taking that time. That's the self-care is a thing during this last year, I've had to just talk and talk and talk to my, you know, phases purple on that whole idea of, of self-care, you know, what does that mean for you? It can mean totally different things for different people, but making yeah. sure that we care for ourselves. Um, caring leadership is showing is taking daily actions to show concern and kindness for those you lead and you lead yourself first. So just remembering that that comes first. And I think the other thing is that we're all on a journey together. You're not by yourself. This is not about perfection. It's about continuous improvement. Um, just getting better at just a little bit every single day, but not overstressing yourself, giving yourself the grace to know you're not going to be perfect. Know that it is going to be rocky. This is not for the faint of heart, ladies and gents. <laughs> leadership is not for the faint of heart, but we're all in it together. So just have fun. Oh, I love that message. I've got a lightning round of questions for you, but before we get into that, where can people find you online? I would say go to the art of caring Uh, that would be a good place to go. Lots of free downloads. And then, uh, I would say secondarily, probably, um, just LinkedIn, just awesome. go to Heather Younger LinkedIn. Yeah. You'll, there'll be everything that that's about me will be posted there about me from a professional standpoint. Right. So you can go there. If you want a little bit more personal, you got to get me on Facebook or Instagram. But. Awesome. What is the go-to song when you want to up your energy? Um, uh, wait, hold on. Fighter by Christina. I, I, I can never say her last name, but you know who I'm talking about. I do. And I love that. <laughs> I remember the first time I played that CD. Yes. It was raining. I was driving from Connecticut back to New York. And I think I listened to it seven or eight dozen times in that drive. <laughs> Such a good song. What time do you wake up? Um, usually 6 a.m. What does breakfast look like? Usually two eggs with whole grain toast and uh, some spinach and a cup of coffee. Do you have a favorite ritual? Probably that breakfast routine, actually, after working out. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Dang it, that's hard. I don't get a lot of sleep. Um, <laughs> probably a morning person. What's a book you've given or recommended the most, not your own? Probably Speed of Trust. What can someone do to help you feel appreciated? Take things off my plate. Ooh, love that. Heather, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. It's been great.